sometimes it's very funny what the mind retains. You know, and um, I can remember a number of years ago witnessing a, or seeing a commercial. And it was a television commercial, and it was a picture. started out with the camera just kind of panning in across a hotel room. First, it kind of went over the top of this guy's shoes that were kind of just haphazardly thrown on the floor. And then it was a pair of pants draped over a chair and a shirt that was crumpled in a corner. And finally, it made its way to the foot of the bed and kind of slowly traveled from the foot of the bed to the top of the bed. And it was just a, when it got there, it was just a, a picture. It was just a guy lying in bed clutching the covers as close as he could to his neck with this deer caught in the headlights kind of look like he was totally overwhelmed by the world you know the world had just he, he just he just didn't have the the wherewithal to be able to get out of bed and go face the world for another day and um I don't even remember what the commercial was for. It was probably for ibuprofen or something I don't know you know to get over his headache but it reminded me that and still reminds me that one of the dominant experiences that we have as people is the experience of stress in our lives, right? And even more so in times like ours where people are worried about losing their jobs, worried about being able to pay the bills, getting their kids through college, doing whatever, worried about major health issues, and the list just kind of goes on and on. There's all kinds of things in our world that cause us stress, now, stress can be, you know, kind of a textbook definition is it's anything that kind of comes into our lives that upsets the physiological equilibrium. In a more layman's term, something I can relate to, stress really is our reaction to change. Whether it's good or bad, it's our reaction to change. As things around us change, things that are outside of our control, this is our reaction to it. And it really is at epidemic levels in our society. You know, uh, a, a couple of years ago, the, probably about four or five years ago now, the Mayo Clinic did a, a study, and they said, they estimated that 80% of their caseload was due to either being overweight or to stress. 80%. And they said 75% of their appointments could be traced to stress-related issues, whether it be chronic headaches or coronary disease and everything in between, it was related to stress. And there are all kinds of things in our world that can cause us stress. Not all of them are bad. Many of them are good. Proposing marriage can create stress. Having conflict in marriage can create stress, right? Having a baby can cause stress. Having kids can cause stress. Getting promoted can cause stress. Losing your job can cause stress. Having a big test can cause stress. Having an important interview. The list just kind of goes on and on. In fact, a you know, they, at one, you know there's, a, there's a survey for everything, right? We've been hearing all kinds of things about surveys with our big election coming up on Tuesday, right? You know, and they, they said it just a few years ago. This, this uh, survey said that over 50% of us are experiencing stress. In other words, the person sitting next to you, if it's not you, it's the person sitting next to you, is experiencing stress either over a concern related to money or because they're in conflict with a loved one. 40%, four people out of 10, is experiencing stress because life is just too busy. There's not enough margin, not enough white space in our lives. Others are just overwhelmed by their life responsibilities. There's just too much to do, and they're not sure they can really do it well. A quarter of us struggle with things like excessive noise or crime or violence on TV or have health issues that create a lot of stress in our lives. 20% wrestle with just commuting to work or dealing with technology. I had one of those mornings this morning. You know, I... 
I finalize my sermon outline on Sunday mornings, and so I don't print out what I actually give to you until Sunday morning. So I, I had finished it up, and so I emailed it to our home computer from my laptop so I could print it out, you know, through the printer at the house. And our email wasn't working, you know, and the computer still exists because I couldn't find a bat because I was, you know, you know, you know, but you know, you just it just just go up your technology, you know, it's 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 it only fails when you need it, you know, and it just creates stress. Sorry for all you IT guys out there who try to make it make it work right. You know, stress is at epidemic levels, but I gotta tell you, I think the overwhelming message of Scripture is God does not want us to be people who live our lives filled with stress. And I want to start a series today entitled Stress Busters. The whole series is going to come out of Psalms 23. So I want to challenge you to memorize Psalm 23 over the next month. It's just six verses. Some of the verses you probably already have down. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, you've got pieces of it down already. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want to challenge you to memorize it. But this passage of scripture, which we read very frequently at funerals because it's a wonderful message that speaks of God's assurance, of God's, of God's presence, and of God's stress-relieving presence in every dynamic of life, is very profound and valuable to us. And so over the next few weeks, what I want to look at is what is God's antidote to worry in our lives. That's what we're going to do today. To God's antidote to the stress created by indecision in our lives. Things that have to do with being hurt or damaged, fear of the future, and those kinds of things. All these things create issues in our lives. But I want to start by reading Psalm 23 together. It's going to come up here on the screen. Would you stand with me as we read this in unison together? This is from the, the, Christi- the Holman Christian Standard Bible, so it may be a little different from, than what you're used to. I want to encourage you to memorize Psalm 23 in whatever version you like best, all right? But we're going to read it from Holman Christian Standard Bible this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. May God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Now the first stressor that I, I want to focus our attention on today, I believe God responds to in the very first verse of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want or I shall have no need. And that stressor is worry. Anybody worry here? On the rest of you all lying. You know, I mean, worry is, I don't know, I try to describe in the first service, it's, it's one of these things where I don't even know if we can conceive of life without worrying. It's kind of like breathing and worrying and it just kind of goes with the equation. I mean, and, and with that, worry is really hard to define. In some ways, they want to describe it as kind of like, you know, the, the inner anxiousness that some of us experience. For others, it's a sense of fretting that we have. For others, it's kind of disturbing thoughts or it's silent fears. What we do know, without a a shadow of a doubt, that however you define worry and how you experience worry in your life, what is clear 
is that it takes away from the quality of our life experience. And it takes away from the quality of our faith experience of God. Worry, in many ways, is, is kind of like, they're like the silent emotional termites that can get into our lives. You, know, you ever had one of those nights where you're lying asleep in bed and you can swear you hear something in the walls? You know, and you think, oh no, I got termites. You know, I mean, and you, know, and, and you think, you know, they're going to destroy my house without knowing, you know, and without even knowing. Worry can be like that for us. And the Bible teaches us, Jesus specifically teaches us, that worry is to have no place in our lives as the people of God. We've read Psalm 21 together. I want to point your attention as well to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6? And if you do not have one of your own, you should find a, a, a Bible there underneath your seat or underneath the seat in front of you. And if you're using one of the, the, the pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 818. Jesus is in the middle of teaching his followers what they are going to be like and what should be important to them as a result of their having a relationship with him. And, and so here he's been talking about a section related to how we engage and interact with the world. And in verse 25, he starts a, a well-known section. He says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth just a little bit more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Can you make yourself just a smidgen taller? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters, in other words, those with no faith, eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And ain't that the gospel truth, right? You know, when Jesus is is talking to his disciples, he said, listen, I do not want you to be, and you should not be, people of worry. And for one of the reasons he tells you not to worry is that it's useless. It's totally unproductive. He says, how many of you, by worrying all that you possibly can, can make yourself even a quarter of an inch taller? Can't. How many of you, by worrying to the fullest might that you possibly can, can can add one hour to your lifespan? Doesn't happen. Worrying is totally useless. It's unproductive. Get rid of it. He also says that it is the product of a lack of faith. When he's describing those who are people here of worry, who are worrying about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, and where they're going to live, and all this kind of stuff, he says, he says because you 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 just have little faith. You don't have enough faith. You just don't believe enough. And worry is associated with is the product of a lack of faith. But he also says it's contradictory to faith in God. He says here the idolaters, they all worry about this stuff. These are people who do not know God as Heavenly Father. And people who don't know God as Heavenly Father, they're the ones who worry. If you know your Heavenly Father who cares about you, you're not supposed to be people of worry. Now your reaction is probably a lot like mine. That's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? You can reach, oh, I know it's useless. 
I know, I believe, and God loves me. But I, the problem is, what do you replace worry with? What do you use to elbow it out and get something spiritually constructive in its place in your life? And what the Bible would tell us, and I think it just jumps out at us from this imagery at the beginning of, the, of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, we, we, have a, we don't really, the shepherd imagery just doesn't leap off the page to us. I mean, how many of you know a shepherd? I mean, it's just, a, but I mean, it was, it was very common in the days of David. David, the psalmist, was a shepherd. When he was a young man, his father took the most precious commodity the family had, his flock, and he said, David, you go take care of it. And the shepherd went out and he lived. He immersed himself in the flock. He guided it to the best pastures to eat, so they had the greenest grass. Took it to the best waters, so they could drink. Protected, you know, made sure they laid down in safe places at night. When predators came, they fought it off. Remember when, when David was talking to, to uh, King Saul about his credentials to go out and fight off Goliath? You know, he's saying, hey, listen, when I was protecting the flock, man, I fought off bears and I fought off lions. You know, I mean, they would put their life on the line. You know, and it, and it, and it takes total commitment to be a shepherd. I met a shepherd once. I was out in Wyoming doing a teaching tour. And one of the guys who showed up, he just happened to have about a three-week span where he was off. But he had been out shepherding a flock of sheep for about three months. Now, I mean, Wyoming is it's big, it's open, etc. And where he had these sheep, I mean, it was miles from the nearest road. So what this guy did is he lived 24-7 with the sheep. He had a horse, he had a covered wagon that he lived in, he had a dog... And he had a four-wheel ATV that he used to get out to the road, drop off his list of stuff that he needed, and then to get back to the flock as fast as he could. I think he used the horse to pull the covered wagon. And he was out there 24 hours a day, seven days a week for months on end with the sheep. I mean, he was totally immersed in the sheep. David said, I know that the Lord, the one who created the world, put the moon and the stars and put the planets in orbit and all, I know that the Lord, the sovereign one, is my shepherd. He's 100% committed to my well-being. And what he's asking to do is say, is, is, to put it in our terms, is he's saying, don't worry, trust. Actively trust in God. Now, I, I know some of you are like, oh, I thought you were going to give us a real solution, you know? I mean, you know, trust is kind of one of these passive, kind of namby-vamby, let's all think happy thoughts and our problems will go away kind of things, right? That's not ex- at all the scriptural flavor of what it means to actively trust in God. Here, Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples at the end, he says, you know, you, you worry about all this stuff, but I'm going to tell you what to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff will be added unto you. You know, the, we, we, it was read earlier in the, in the testimony, you know, Romans 8.28, for all things work to the good of those who love the Lord. Love is, a, is an active word. It's, it's not an emotion. It's a choice. It's an act of will. It's something that we do. And so the scripture really calls upon us to replace worry with active trust in God. And I just want to point out several activities, I think, that combined with that, that are sufficient expressions of what it means to actively trust in God, what it means to seek his righteousness, his kingdom, in the sense of dealing with worry. And here's the first thing I want to say to you. I'm going to catch up here in my notes. A part of actively trusting in God is to cultivate an understanding of what really matters eternally. Now, let that sink in for a minute. 
And then replace some of the tape of your own worry. And most of the stuff we worry about doesn't matter eternally, does it? How much are my kids' braces going to cost? You know? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm being somewhat kind of flippant, but you understand what I'm saying. It, you know, and Jesus says, you know, you, he says, you know, think about it. Isn't the life, isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than just clothes? You know, he's saying, think about what really matters eternally. And, and, and when we do that, we understand and we can focus ourselves and, 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 and God shapes us. He begins to transform us so that what we need, what we want, is in alignment with what God is actually intending to give us. Because we're focusing on what's going to last and be valuable for eternity. The second thing is that beyond cultivating an understanding of what's eternally valuable, you've got to confront yourself with the faithfulness of God. We've got short memories, people. Most of our us, myself included at times, can live our lives like, well, God, what have you done for me today? You, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and one of the ways that we cultivate and a trust in God, this active trust in God, is to confront ourselves with God's faithfulness. Now, for some of you, that might, might be just keeping a prayer journal. And the things that you're praying about, just going back and writing in the answers as they happen. And then using that over a long period of time to be able to say, boy, look what God does. Look what God does. But it has a powerful impact upon us. When I was a kid, and even when I was in college, one of the, the songs that, that the churches I was a part of loved to sing often was this little hymn called Count Your Blessings. Some of you remember that from when your own um, background. Just listen to several of these verses and how they speak to the power of recalling the faithfulness of God to us. It says, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does a cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, don't be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. I mean, it is powerful stuff to confront. And I use this word confront um, on purpose because it's a strong word. It's not just kind of, have, but it's actually intentionally confronting yourself with the ways that God has really cared and been faithful to you. Third thing. And I, and I hope this language speaks to you like it does to me. But I, I think part of, of exercising active faith in God, which drives out worry, is just to leap with the light that you have. You know, we're, we're always dominated by the stuff that we don't know. You know, we, when we're, we're, we're focused in on the questions that we can't answer. And part of what God would say to us is, well, just focus in on the answers you do know and do something with them, <laughs> you know? I mean, you know enough about, I mean, no matter how much you know or little you know about God, you know something about God and who He wants you to be and how He wants you to act and what He wants you to do. Well, just start with that. Leap with the light that you've got. Don't be paralyzed by what you don't know because when you sit there paralyzed, all you're doing is giving worry more room to take over. And what God's saying is, you know, listen, I, you know, you may not know where tomorrow, but don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on the day. You've got light for the day. Leap with it. Do something with it. Last point. You just got to cooperate with God's renewing process within us. One of the ways that God's going to reduce the amount of worry in our lives is by shaping our hearts so that they're focused on the things that really matter. And we need to cooperate 
with God's shaping activity in our lives. Some of us are wearing these bands, these renew bands, as a reminder that we've committed to getting ready to something, getting rid of something out of our lives that's spiritually destructive or embracing a new spiritual habit that grows us in Christ. But here's the word that I want to say to you today about this. We, we have this impression often spiritually that if we, if we say no to God today about a certain thing, He's going to be back tomorrow to talk to us about the same thing. You know, we, we, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like we have this, this idea that, uh, that, our, that our approach with our, with God's approach with us is much like our own approach with our, with our children, you know, that if they don't first do it when we say it, then we just get louder the next time, and then we get louder and louder and louder, and to finally we make them do it. I got to tell you, that's not the way it works usually spiritually. You know, one of the things Jesus said to his disciples when he, he sent them out on a, on a mission trip before he left the planet, sent them out in groups, he said, when you go into a village, they don't respond to you. He said, just leave. And when you get to the edge of the village, just knock the dust off your feet, saying it's their responsibility and move on. We, we, we somehow think that God's going to keep begging us to get our lives into alignment with him. He's not always going to do that. Because when God speaks into our lives and we reject it, we become numb to him. And after a while, we stop hearing the voice of God. Think about some of the, own, some of the sin practices in your life. There was probably a time where they really bothered you when you did that. Now you can do it and not even think about it. Cooperate fully with the transforming work of God in your life. When he speaks, jump. All of this stuff is not going to really work unless the Lord is your shepherd. He can be my shepherd. He can be your wife's shepherd. He can be your husband's shepherd. He can be your parent's shepherd or whatever. But this stuff is not going to drive out worry from your life unless the Lord is your shepherd. And so I echo to you today what Jesus said to his disciples on that final night of, their, uh, of his life with them here on earth. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't worry. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Would you do that today? Would you make the Lord your shepherd? Let's pray together. Father, it's absolutely impossible for us to comprehend that on a planet that's populated with billions of people, that you can be just our shepherd, fully immersed in who we are in our experience given us undivided attention. But Father, that's what your word tells us. God, we, we understand your promise today of worry-free living, but we see it almost as something that's too good to be true. Through our trust in you, show us what really matters. Remind us of your faithfulness to us. Show us what to do and speak to us, we pray. as our shepherd. And it's in the name of the one who came to shepherd us into your kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing a final song as our worship team comes? As we begin to sing, I invite our ushers to come forward and receive our offering. Let's celebrate the God who doesn't want us to worry this morning.